So um, I checked around, talked to some people. The most obvious um, connection I was able to make came from uh, Julia Bland, director of um, the New Orleans Children's Museum. And you know, I got kind of excited about having her participate, and she actually was on board until about June and then had a conflict come up with work. Uh, but she was going to share information about how her museum responded to Hurricane Katrina. And it, does anybody know the story? Because I am not that familiar with it, and I'm just going to give you my interpretation. Does anybody have any familiarity with it? I believe that the gist of it was that they didn't do anything really huge, but what they did was, as a museum, provided families in the community, the children specifically, with backpacks that had some of the necessities that they might need just to feel some sense of, of normalcy. And you know, if you think about that, that's such a small gesture, but such an important um, thing to do for children in crisis to give them some sense that somebody's looking out for them. So I started looking around for other kinds of um, programming like that, and I think we're finding children's museums are really leading the effort and being responsive to the community, but I'm sort of challenging us as more traditional museums to think creatively in those ways as well. Uh, so that's um, an example that came to my mind, and then I started going beyond and <coughs> elsewhere and, and being um, you know, inquisitive. And there's, there's not a lot that we're finding is going on that gets specifically at community needs and relevance within the uh, immediate future. And one of the things, um, I'm a real fan of Stephen Weil's work. Anybody familiar with, with him and Making Museums Matter? I, I really recommend um, this to you folks. One of his chapters in here talks about um, being less about something and more for somebody and really getting at how we as museums might be able to make a difference. So what I'd like to challenge you with and, and my fellow panelists is what we're going to do to explore this together. And as I think I said when you first entered, we really probably don't have the answers. We have a few examples to share, and then we want to um, talk things through and push, push us to the extremes a little bit. We may have to pull back, and we may think, oh, maybe this isn't so much what's going to work. But I think to get to new places, you have to, you have to use that process. So um, I am going to turn this over to uh, John West Bay. He's uh, currently the curator at Prince George African American Museum in Maryland and uh, the chairman at the American Poetry Museum in Washington. Um, previously, he was at the Lower East Side Tenement Museum as um, one of their education people there. And he is a member, a board member of EDCOM, uh, New York Museum Association, uh, DuPont Calorama Museums Consortia. So he keeps quite busy to say nothing of the fact that he has at least two other jobs and is the parent of three children, one who is now, as we speak, um, visiting a, a local college. So he uh, is juggling a lot and I really appreciate his being here. So John, I'm gonna pass it over to you and um, give you the microphone. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, <coughs> I have to commend you all for, for being here at the, <coughs> what I understand is the last session of the last day. Um, I just got in town, so I skipped the rest of the conference, but um, I've heard it was nice. Um, I'm here to talk about, yeah, one of just, well, really two, <coughs> excuse me, of the of the jobs that I do. Um, 
one with Prince George's African American Museum in Maryland. Um, a little background about that. That is a, a, a very new museum project. It's only been around for about a year and a half. And it's to explore the African American uh, presence in Prince George's County. As some of you may know, uh, the Prince, George, uh, Prince George's is um, the, the wealthiest black majority county in the nation. And it uh, has a rich history um, and, and, it's, and it's kind of history between uh, Washington, D.C. and Prince George's County. And while it has its, its, its challenges, it's also a very uh, rich place. And so if you're ever in Maryland, please stop by Prince George's uh, and the Prince George's African American Museum. So the project right now, there, there is an exhibition and program space that the museum operates <coughs> in Brentwood, Maryland. But the plans are to have this larger, um, like 70,000 square foot building that's going to be built just about a half a mile down the road from where the, the programming space is now. So uh, luckily, I don't have to fundraise for that. Um, so, uh, but, but they're working very hard at the administrative office to do that. And, and it's something that is planned to be um, finished, I believe, in the next three years or so. So um, in the meantime, uh, the challenge is, 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 is how do you engage the community until that building is built, until the larger symbol is built. And one of the things that um, the original director, Stephen Newsom of the museum did was to, to, uh, to propose doing this, this pre-exhibition space um, that would address the needs of the community until the larger space could be built. And so um, one of the issues that existed in Prince George's County is because of its, its uh, in some areas of its closeness to um, the Washington, D.C. border, it struggles with some of the same issues that, that some areas of Washington, D.C. struggle with, like crime, like uh, a, a public school system that, that is not the best, and, um, and also just, just Prince George's County is so large that different, you know, like especially young people from different parts of the county have very little contact with each other, and, and, and typically when there is contact, it's, it's not very positive. So one of the programs that the museum uh, started was called the Culture Keepers Program, which was aimed at uh, at-risk youth uh, from different parts of the county to bring them together. And so one of the projects we just finished this summer was a, a mural project uh, that took place uh, where, where the site for the, the museum is going to be. And so we have a, a big, huge wall there. And so uh, we strategically took, we worked with uh, the Maryland Department of Youth Services, which um, typically is a, is, a, is a place that, that um, deals with kids who, um, who have been in the juvenile justice system who, um, who, who are, are considered highly at risk. So we took kids from different parts of the counties and had them work together on this mural project, which addressed a community need of, of increasing understanding. And there, there, you know, surprisingly, it went very, very smoothly. There were no problems. Um, we had them do art workshops. We had them do discussion series. And then the end project was to, to, to complete this mural. And, and we did that. And, and I think that, that that's really what the museum's um, that was the best example of what the museum's purpose could be, was to, to be um, a force for increasing understanding amongst Prince George's County residents, especially young people. 
Uh, and then, of course, they're in that exhibition space. We've done about five exhibitions so far. Some of those exhibitions have dealt with quilt art. Some of them have dealt with uh, African-American film posters, with uh, African-American military history. So there's just a lot of things that that, that space addresses. The second thing I want to talk about is uh, putting on another hat with American Poetry Museum, and I'm, I'm the chairman of that board there. And um, my favorite program that we and, and that museum is all about the the um, celebration of uh, of American poetry in all of its forms. And so we do a lot of things online. We we have two online exhibitions. Um, one. Um, <coughs> I don't want to get too far into it, but one, the most recent one we did was called Girl for Sale, and it dealt with the, the trafficking of girls uh, and the exploitation of girls. Uh, and then we had poetry and all, and we worked with a, a, an institution called the Girl, Mu the Girl Museum, which is based in uh, New Zealand. Uh, so we did a lot of Skyping back and forth to, to coordinate this project. But that's the type of projects that we do. But the project that I want to talk about um, was a partnership, and it's still my favorite program that we've, that we've ever done. It was a partnership between the um, Mary McLeod Bethune Council House, which is a part of the National Park Service, um, the House of Ruth, which is a shelter for uh, homeless and abused women, and American Poetry Museum. And it was perfect because it fit into all of our missions. And we used poetry workshops provided by American Poetry Museum as therapy for the women who were in uh, who were in the program, we used the Mary McLeod Bethune Council House as our meeting place, and of course we couldn't um, advertise it. So uh, they served as kind of our, our our place. We provided the poetry workshops. House of Ruth provided the 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 women, and it was it was one of those things where I, I tried not to go to many of them, but we did. Um, I'd say about I think it's like twelve <laughs> sessions. And I went to maybe two of them, but when I went, they had, the women had such a great time. It was like a, it was like it's like Oprah, you know, like everybody was sitting around and talking and laughing, and and when it was time to go, nobody wanted to go, and um, and still to this day, we haven't had that type of uh, response um, because it it at, at its heart, it really fulfilled a need, which was these women needed some kind of outlet to be able to talk about their experience. Poetry ended up being a great way to do that, and it was in a safe space uh, in, in a historical house that they could be inspired by the story of, of, uh, of Mary McLeod Bethune. So uh, those, those are my examples of addressing uh, uh, community needs, and I think it'll be a good segue to what um, to what you're going to talk mm -hmm. about. So Yep, great. Thank you, John. And I think what I, I see as especially important for um, the work John did is that um, in both instances, he was able to look at his collection and it sounds like figure out how to connect that to the issue, which I think is a, a huge challenge and I think Becky will touch on a little bit. But let me introduce Rebecca Fulcher. She is an educator at the National Law Enforcement Museum. She uh, has past experience at the DuPage Children's Museum, which is outside of Chicago, and uh, the Indianapolis Children's Museum. Uh, more recently, but still a few years back, um, had worked with a small government agency on social media and public relations, which is kind of an interesting uh, mix to bring to the you know museum education world, and uh, is a graduate from the museum education program at George Washington University. So uh, without f further ado, let me pass it back over to you. Okay, Becky? Yeah. Slide that down. 
All right, so um, before I get into the project that I'm going to talk about, I wanted to give just a brief background on who we are. Um, we're a brand new museum. We broke ground last October, and so we're still very much in the development stages. Um, we are being, um, we're a project of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, which 20 years ago uh, dedicated a memorial in downtown DC to honor fallen law enforcement officers um, throughout history in the United States. So there's this pre-existing mission and um, we grew out of that. They were looking for a, another project to further examine and, and bring law enforcement into the, the face of, in front of the public. And uh, we were authorized by Congress in 2000. We hope to be opening at the end of 2013, early 2014. And so we have started building a collection. We have over 15,000 artifacts right now and still growing. We've started to build some educational programs and we've gotten to the point of creating them and, and beginning to evaluate and test some of them. Um, and our core exhibits will explore law enforcement history, the current experience of law enforcement, some of the tools of the trade that they use, law enforcement in popular culture, um, and forensics. And so all of that kind of combines around our mission, which is to tell the story of American law enforcement and to build mutual respect and foster cooperation between the public and the law enforcement profession. And by doing this, we'll contribute to a safer society and uphold the democratic ideals of the US Constitution. So that's pretty lofty. But um, one of the programs that we have been working on, I think, fits really well with our mission. And that is a pro of an activity called KidSafe, which um, is intended eventually uh, to be a family day with a variety of activities on uh, safety topics. And there will be all different kinds of activities um, for families with children of different ages. The activities will be age appropriate. Um, they hopefully someday will include creating ID kits, uh, talking about bullying, talking about traffic laws for older kids, possibly how to make 911 calls. So there's a, a variety of things that we'll be able to cover. Um, one set of activities, which is where we've started working, um, will address domestic violence. And we'll do that through age-appropriate activities that talk about healthy relationships. For older um, audiences, for the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, we'll talk about dating violence, what, um, what kinds of relationships between peers are healthy, what to do when you have a friend who's in a situation that isn't healthy. Um, and because of that age group, we'll do that without their parents. And we haven't yet developed a parallel program for parents that will give them some tools to be aware of what their kids may be facing. Um, but for the pre-K, kindergarten, and then for elementary age students, what we've planned um, and begun the initial phases of testing will, will involve parents and children learning together, doing activities together that um, some of what we've developed so far includes a puppet show talking about um, nice and mean behavior, um, real basic things. Hands are not for hitting, words are not for hurting, those kinds of things. So they're brought down to the, the children's um, level. Um, 
a, there's a game involving sentence completion, you know, what makes families feel good, what makes families feel unsafe, um, creating a booklet together that helps families and children talk about, well, who are the safe people if there's something happening? Who can you call? Who can you go to? Who can you tell that there's something wrong? Um, how do you call 911? What do you need to tell people if you need to call 911? Um, so those are some of the things that, that our program is going to incorporate, but it's also worth looking at, well, how does that fit into our mission and our collections? And um, the KidSafe program grew out of an opportunity to partner with the Verizon Foundation. Um, one of, the, of their big focuses is on domestic violence prevention, and they offered us the opportunity to work with them. And to be honest, we struggled to conceptualize at first how this was going to be a connection. And we stepped back. We looked at um, the statistics that our parent organization keeps on law enforcement officer deaths. Um, and we realized that statistics show um, throughout history that the most dangerous calls that law enforcement officers can take, the most dangerous and volatile assignments are the domestic disturbance calls. Um, and some years, more officers die because of domestic disturbance calls than any other call that they can answer. And so um, growing out of that and also knowing that the way that law enforcement training has changed over the years to um, eventually bring training to deal with domestic violence um, incidents into what they talk about on a regular basis um, and to have units specifically trained to go to domestic violence situations. Um, so given, given our knowledge about what affects officer safety and um, what we know about differences in training, we thought, you know, this actually makes a lot of sense because this program, what we can do through it is contribute to a safer society. And so, you know, it, it, we now see that it makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it also fits very well with a, a group of programs that we hope to work on, which are called socially responsible education programs. That's what we've titled them. Um, and these programs are going to be things that explicitly address uh, society needs and improve the community. And one reason that we made a commitment to this um, grows out of trends identified by the Museums and Society 2034 report, which um, recently came from the Center for the Future of Museums and AAM. And it talks about trends in society that will affect museums, and they're projecting to the year 2034, but um, not just focusing on who we are, but focusing on the needs of the, of the community um, and looking at the type of programming that we can create um, these programs are, are the type of thing that society is going to expect from museums in the future. And so we want to be on the forefront of thinking about the types of programs that we can offer that fit our collection, fit our mission, and also serve the real needs of our community. Um, just a few brief words about how we created KidSafe. Um, we recognized that we weren't content experts. We knew that this was a problem but we didn't know necessarily how to go about solving it. And a key part of us learning 
about it um, was creating an advisory committee. We have everyone on this advisory committee from um, uh, folks from the social service community that deal with domestic violence. We have um, people from law enforcement units who deal directly with domestic violence from the law enforcement side. We have teachers, we have administrators. Um, and so this, this group uh, got together about once every other month and really advised us on what type of topics do you need to talk about with families? What can you talk about with families? What can't you talk about if you have a potential abuser and a potential victim in the room and you've got the kids? So they really gave us a lot of, of helpful information to be able to create these programs. We also made a commitment to hiring somebody with the content experience so we had someone on staff who could develop the programs and, and be an advisor to us in that way as well. Um, we also talked a lot as a staff about how to make the program unique to our museum. How, what do we do to make it not just a social service program? How do we bring our collection that's still developing into the program? And I have to say that we still don't have all the answers. We, we have this vision. We've begun to test it. Um, but it's, it's an evolving process. And as we've gone through the process of developing the program, we have come to have a better understanding of how important it is, and I think that will continue to evolve as we continue to, as we get to the point where we can present the program, we can get feedback from the families who are doing the program. Um, and so it's, it's exciting to look toward the future and see what kind of a effect we can have. Work in progress. Yes, very much so. Thank you. So I think it's interesting to hear from John. Do you all have any questions? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I was just curious, have you worked with the National um, Safe Kids Coalition? Are you aware of that program? I am not actually the one who worked on developing the program, and so I hope that we're aware of that. <laughs> but um, we did work with a number of, of local to DC as well as national uh, organizations, the National Network to End Domestic Violence is one of the groups that we worked with, so I would sure hope that they're, you know, they're, they're in contact or at least know about us and we know about them. <laughs> Other questions? So I think it's interesting to hear um, from these, these two um, professionals because John has presented two programs that have actually already um, taken place, and Becky's program is really still, uh, as I said, a work in progress. And um, I'm going to share a little information that is um, about the race, Are We So Different exhibit. Is that something any of you are familiar with or have had a chance to visit? Anybody been there? Yeah? Uh, what were your thoughts? And I'll repeat them. Yeah, there's it is overwhelming. A lot of a lot of content being presented, definitely. Um, uh, I thought it was surprisingly really well done. Uh, I didn't think that you would see a Smithsonian exhibit that starts with the premise of white privilege, 
and expects the visitors to understand that and move forward through the exhibit with it. So I was well stated. Yeah. Uh, anybody else see it or have thoughts about it? Uh, it was a, a exhibit that was developed by um, I think the the Science Museum of Minnesota and the. Um, uh, Anthropological Association of America. I might have that acronym a little bit wrong, but um, in any case, a lot of uh, thought went into it. And uh, as was mentioned, the content is, is quite heavy. It, there is a lot there. It's very, um, uh, there's a lot of text to read. And given what I shared with you about the work I do with young audiences, the content is really very much geared towards children the ages 10 and up. Um, and what we have learned is that pre-prejudices are actually formed by the age of eight. And with that in mind, it seemed extra important for, for us, the Smithsonian Early Enrichment Center, to think about how we make that content accessible or more accessible to families with younger children. So that was sort of the, the premise of the challenge that we set out for ourselves. And um, what the Smithsonian Early Enrichment Center is, is a um, museum-based preschool program, early childhood education program that has three sites on the Smithsonian campus. We serve about 100 families, um, primarily Smithsonian families, with children between the ages of six months and six years. So um, our teachers are incredibly knowledgeable and have a lot of experience and expertise in early childhood development. So they know how young children think and they know how to help families support them in their overall development. And we recognize that that was an important aspect of making this information accessible. Um, but what we also knew was we didn't have and we don't have expertise in the content. And so what, what, what happened was the Smithsonian over the past year and a half or, or two years now is really working on is building cross-institution collaborations. And there, um, there is a consortia that is actually funding um, various projects that are bringing many of our institutions to the table. So for this particular project, we have um, the Anacostia Community Museum. We have the um, Smithsonian Center for Education and Museum Studies. We have the African American History and Culture. Um, we have American History and, of course, Natural History, which is the museum where this particular exhibit is located. And we are, have been working with them since about January to help inform us so that we're able to present an appropriate and effective hands-on activity for families with children under the age of eight. And this um, endeavor is looking to culminate in an activity that's scheduled for October 22nd. And most of the players are bringing an activity of their own to the table, but what the Smithsonian Early Enrichment Center did was actually make this opportunity a research project, and our teachers did some reading and did some classroom observations and thought very hard about how to best present to families in a short snippet of time uh, the, the content. And I think that we recognize clearly that 
when you have a um, family program, you all know how difficult it is for that short period of time to have a real impact on the families. But even if the, the, we have a handful of parents refer to the resources that are provided, um, we're, we're confident that we will have um, accomplished what we had set out to. But even more important, I think, is the learning that's taken place within the institution and especially within our organization. Because this is something that, as early childhood providers, um, is really important for them to have um, knowledge about. Because as one of the experts we worked with said, the worst thing that they can do if a situation comes up in a classroom that um, uh, relates to diversity and uh, differences within the children is to ignore it. And I you know, don't know, I imagine that you all have had some chance to work with, with kids in the museums. And sometimes they, they say things that are quite startling and it's not always easy to know how to respond. So we're, we were recognizing that and we're able to give our teachers a, a workshop in August that helped them know a little bit more about how to do that effectively. Let me just make sure I hit on all my points here. Um, so I guess, you know, to wrap up, I want to say that as long as we see articles like this in the USA Today um, news, can Philadelphia school and black versus Asian violence, these are the things that are relevant. And I, I felt um, that it's a challenge for all of us, um, whether we're a history museum or a you know poetry museum, to think creatively about how we're going to use our collection and our knowledge of history to inform the present. And that's, I think, what we want to explore a little bit more with you. Um, so before we jump into roundtable discussion, I'm curious to know whether you in the audience have any interesting examples of museums that are you know sort of going a little beyond their comfort zone or moving out of their box to address an issue that's come up in the community either hit the newspaper or maybe it um you know it doesn't have to be as extreme as hurricane katrina or you know uh, 9 11 or um you know, maybe it's something more like uh, addressing the layoffs that are taking place in the community and the impact those are having on families. Um, but does anybody have an example either from your own museum or a museum in your community that you'd like to share? Can you come use our, our microphone? Sure. I'm with the National Czech and Slovak Museum and Library in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And um, because we have an international scope and approach, um, but we're also very focused on Czech and Slovak um, history and culture, sometimes it's difficult for us to connect Czechs and Slovaks to other things that are happening. And our community was having, a, there's a lot of conversation in our community about what was happening in Myanmar with the uprising several years ago. And I was immediately able to connect that to the 1968 uprising with the fall of the Prague Spring in Czechoslovakia. And in between that time, of course, Tiananmen Square had happened. So I brought in experts to talk about 1968, 1989 in China, and what was happening in Myanmar at that time. And what that did was it educated our local community about a global issue and made them concerned about 
what was happening and put it all into some sort of historical context that they could really understand what was going on. So when the legislatures and the senators and congressmen and that blah, 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 those people who are in decision-making power, they could have honest and informed conversation with them. It was really the larger concept. Um, however, we do have these types of conversations a lot, and um, and we may or may not connect them to either an exhibition that we're holding, holding or uh, an artifact that we have, but a lot of times it's something philosophical, theoretical, political, whatever. It's more abstract, and so it's harder for us to have a palpable artifact to connect it to, but we do when we have the opportunity. Thank you. Anybody else? Can can you all think of any other examples or have some of your own? Okay. Um, do either of you have anything to add at this stage before we jump into roundtable? John, you want to add anything there? No? Okay. Um, thank you for sharing. What we thought would be really interesting is to give you, um, I think, because of the size, if I can pull together two tables. We have two scenarios, two different scenarios that we're gonna share with you that um, are strictly out of the news, right out of the newspaper. And we wanted to challenge you to think through some um, questions and ideas to begin to create a concept that would address the issue and support your families and the community. Uh, it's very experimental. We don't, I don't think, have any really great idea about what exact, exactly will come of the conversation, but I thought it would be interesting to find out. Um, I think you'll have mixed feelings about whether this is the kind of work that museums should be doing, but it's worth thinking about together. And with that, Becky, I'm gonna ask you, do you mind um, giving them each a, a newspaper article and the related questions. And I think uh, we'll have a nice chunk of time to work together on this. It's about 11.25, and I'm thinking if you can discuss this until quarter to 12, that would be great. And then we're gonna come back together and share, and that, then we'll, we'll turn the microphone back on at that point. Thank you. Okay, I think we're ready to come back together. Are you guys able to? Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to share out, and I know that you didn't have quite time to finish, so you'll improvise a little bit, um, but I'm going to have this group start, and I'd like you to address, um, tell us the problem that you're addressing. The, you can either read the, um, read the headline or just give us a little info. Uh, give us a little information about the museum you decided to connect it to, and then if you actually were able to come up with an activity concept. Um, and then sort of wrap it up with why you thought these connections were relevant and any difficulties you might have had in, in the discussion. So um, I heard some interesting things going on. I'm going to hand the microphone over to Tanya. And um, if you'll introduce yourself, that would be great. I'm Tanya Brock. I'm Visitor Services Manager at Minatrista in Muncie, Indiana. We're the historical home site of uh, Ball Family from Ball Canning Jars. And our current issue that we explored <clears throat> was about uh, childhood hunger. And so it seemed like a fit because 
when were ball jars so famous during the Depression when every, almost everybody was hungry? Um, and in particular, we have an object um, ball during the Depression created jars that they distributed to various orphanages across the country, and one in particular that's in our collections from the Waco, Texas orphanage. And what they would do with these jars is have the children um, take them around to homes in the community and ask folks during the canning season that when they are putting up their green beans, for example, in their own jars, just fill one jar, sit it out on the porch, and the children would come back by and collect it. So then they had food to feed the children back at the orphanage. Um, so knowing that object and that history and then partnering it up with the modern issue of childhood hunger, looking at a variety of projects, everything from working with the community, um, one school in particular in Muncie that has almost 97% free lunch uh, students uh, working after school with those families to teach them how to preserve their own food. Um, we already have partnered in the past with our local um, senior voucher program and WIC, uh, Women Infant Children Program, so that they receive vouchers to bring to farmer's market, which happens on our property, to receive free produce. So either teaching them in that school setting or even on our site how to grow their own food, maybe at a, a container on their own backyard balcony, or uh, using produce that they would pick up from our farmer's market and then teaching them how to preserve it or even just use it <laughs> for the fresh produce. Um, connecting with our mission because, of course, we explore, protect, preserve all the things we all do in our mission, um, the history of East Central Indiana and helping people explore and connect to that history for a better history in the future. And um, the uh, need, of course, is there um, among the 65,000 people that's in our community, so we certainly could help serve through that way. Um, the other program we talked about is our local food bank has now uh, stopped providing food to walk-ups. You have to be in a car. Um, so our site, I know it sounds a little odd, um, because of safety is the reason. Um, so we could provide a location because of our staff and our endowment, um, we would have financial support to set up a system where we could have a walk-up food drive for anybody who just walks up or hops off the bus route um, and, and help serve the people with the food bank where maybe they didn't have the manpower to do that um, from switching to the car drop-off. So it almost sounds like you were a plant for this particular um, topic, and that's interesting that you did end up there. Um, was there any aspect of this particular conversation that was more difficult than any other part of it, whether it was connecting that? It sounds like there was a really great connection to the collection. How was the conversation about the mission? Was that sort of um, feeling like a tight connect, or was it a stretch? Tell us more about any aspect of the conversation that was difficult. I think both the, uh, the the mission and the collections, those seem, at least in my opinion, what we discussed at the table, to be a natural fit. The uh, struggle that could happen is we are located outside of what's often known as the underserved community, and we are very much the ivory tower. We're a light and fluffy museum in general. We don't explore any controversial topics or um, direct uh, current issues. 
um, to support the community. So the demographic of the people that this very program would be serving probably has never visited our facility and um, may feel a little bit uncomfortable coming to our site for something like that. So we would definitely need to work on the PR and support um, either outreach directly in their neighborhoods or working on like with the bus line even um, to get them directly to our site to help support them. Uh, did anybody else here want to add uh, from your perspective being sort of the, out the outsiders here? Um, other thoughts? Okay, I think we're ready then to um, have you all share a little bit about the project you were working on and um, any difficulties that you might have had arise in the conversation. Okay. Um, we had an article about an oil spill that happened in the uh, Salt Lake City suburbs. It was fairly small, but um, the article talks about the residual effects 14 months later, health effects for the people living near where the oil was spilled. Um, and as it turns out, we have somebody from Harper's Ferry um, in West Virginia, which has had a lot of industry affect the landscape over the last 150 plus years. <laughs> and so um, it seemed like it, that subject of dealing with the, the effects of you know, industry on the environment was a natural fit. Um, we didn't get to the point of, of thinking specifically about what programs we could do, although um, I should let you share a little bit of a few of the ideas that you had. Um, we talked a little bit about connecting the industry and the history that's happened through Harpers Ferry with current events using um, primary documents, um, journals, and uh, historic photos uh, to show what's happened over time and how um, that area has cleaned up and been uh, reclaimed. Um, we have great quote from Jefferson saying that this place was the most beautiful, worth a trip across the Atlantic. Um, we have quote later from someone saying, what was Mr. Jefferson thinking? He's crazy, this place is a smoggy mess. Um, and then we have the visitors' comments today where they come uh, because it's this quiet little town, um, historic town. Um, so you can see how um, things have changed and how um, the effects can get better and it's not just um, bad news forever. I don't know how the rest of the group feels, but in terms of the difficulty, I think, um, you know, possibly one of them would be figuring out how quickly we might want to address this, how timely the program needed to be. Um, are we, as a history organization, um, best suited to helping people put something in context and process it after it's already happened? Are we? You know, even though we're a history organization, are we equipped to um, work with families where they are in the middle of it? And you know, what what are what as institution would we be comfortable doing? Would we be comfortable stepping outside the traditional role, or is that really the best thing that we can do for a community? Um, so that I I don't know if anyone else has any other observations they want to share. <laughs> Great. 
Thank you. I think that the conversations were um, really interesting to sort of listen to as an outsider. I was um, noticing that you know, you were kind of creative in thinking about um, who might be able to inform you as you address the topic. Um, I didn't hear you guys, um, the, the oil spill folks, talk much about mission. Did you, were you challenged to connect with a mission so much or not so much? No, it, it worked mm -hmm. nicely. Um, so I thought that it, you, you made reference to your mission just being fairly broad. And therefore, because it was broad, there were these easy connections to be made. So I think that sometimes the mission can, um, depending on the institution, get in the way of your being able to think creatively. So I'm, I was interested to find that that wasn't the case, because I know that when Becky and I were brainstorming a bit, um, both of us found that to be a little bit challenging, and we had to actually put aside the mission before we could really think broadly about the possibility um, of what, was, um, what the options were. Um, but I do think it was interesting to hear how creative you were in your thinking, but I was also amazed at how quickly some, there was one person in both groups that had this, this easy mm -hmm. connection. And, and so I think we had just the right number. If we'd only had three or four people this morning, it could have been a little bit more of a stretch, but that was, that was very intriguing. Um, we're kind of beginning to wrap things up. Uh, John, would you like to add anything to either of the conversations or in closing as we kind of... Um, Bring things, bring things to a close overall. Um, yes, he does. There you go. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. I, I thought it was a great conversation, and I, I enjoyed myself. And um, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> if if, if uh, I I don't think my information's on the the sheet, but if if you would like it, then um, I, I can give it to you now if you want. Yes, um, that sounds good. Thank okay. you, John. I'm sorry, John's information did not, I neglected to get that onto the um, activity sheet. You do have Becky's and my information there, so just go ahead and add John's um, to yeah. the presenter list there. So uh, it's just J W E S T B as in boy E Y at American Poetry Museum altogether, one word, dot org. And um, Good. yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, and Becky, any final thoughts related to this process that you all went to as we kind of wrap up? Um, I think I would just reiterate what Betsy said about setting aside the mission that um, I know in, in our own struggle to, f to think about kids safe, it really took, okay, being forced to, to look at the situation and then you know we came around to seeing oh yes this very much fits with our mission but we as Betsy said we had to kind of set that aside so I would say in your own institutions maybe it isn't setting aside the mission maybe it's doing whatever you need to do to help you be in a place where you can think creatively and push yourselves a little bit so maybe that means uh, talking regularly with a group in the, your community that you don't ordinarily work with. Maybe it, it means going to an event from another organization to see what they're doing. Whatever it is, put yourself into a place where you're a little uncomfortable and you're needing to think creatively, and that might help you find other ways to support the families in your community. Um, and then know that you don't have to do it by yourself and you don't have to have all the answers because I think we are stronger 
um, as an institution for having worked with all of the groups in our community. And um, I know you all, I'm sure, are thinking about ways to do that. And so that's another really rich way to, to think about yourself as an institution in a different way. Thanks, Becky. Um, yes. Sorry, you have to you have to stretch across oh, and okay. that. Um, I'm new to historic preservation, and I work at a historical society. And I've just started in July part time. My background's more in tourism marketing, so I really benefited from the discussions. Um, one because it made me look at our collections and connections to local history in a new way. Um, but especially when you're talking about the environmental thing, because right now in our community, the Marcellus Drail, uh, Marcellus Shale drilling, which is natural gas drilling, has really been a a point of contention for the community and you know like our historical society feels like they need to avoid the topic altogether because they don't want to take a stand one way or another and we align ourselves a lot with environmentalists and you know preservation of you know the environment and things but it would be interesting to see if they'd be willing to not take a position necessarily politically but to step back and put up some sort of exhibit that addresses the history of environment and you know how it's been affected by other industries and things in the past and uh, so this has been really beneficial for me. Good. Yeah. Megan, thanks very much. I think that that is a really great note to close on. I am thrilled to think that we've inspired even one person here to think outside of their box. I think um, Stephen Weil and, and Bob Janes would also be pleased to think that we're thinking in, in bigger ways. And I know that, um, that you all will step up to the plate and do a great job with you know, making your museums relevant and responding to history in the making. So thanks very much for being here. Enjoy the rest of ASLH, and maybe we'll see you next year. <laughs>